You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey starts here. Here. Welcome to an afternoon of pure poetry where you get to sit back, relax from the world around you, and take in the delight of words and promise these 12 poets are set to bring to you today. My name is Carla Dupre, the Executive Director of City Lit Project, a literary nonprofit that's been creating enthusiasm for literature since 2004. City Lit has three signature events, a day-long City Lit Festival each spring, the multi-day City Lit stage each fall, and the City Lit studio, a writer-to-writer craft talk. Most recently, we joined three organizations in Minnesota, New York, and Oregon in partnership to launch a February 2021 virtual writer's retreat called Scribente Maternum for Mothers Who Write, since we already know moms are taking a huge pandemic hit. Limited, partial, and full funding are available. Just visit our website at citylitproject.org for more information. Haven't we survived one remarkable year? To cite our Lucille Clifton, every day something has tried to kill us and has failed. We're still here. Now ain't that worth some gratitude? In spite of a year where we were forced to cancel two major festivals, we persisted. We launched a new website showcasing events and providing resources so readers and writers can get through these times of isolation and heartbreak. We created The Village to support literary organizations, both small and large, to shine the spotlight on them, some who have no digital footprint. Where we lost major funding due to the soaring needs of others in this pandemic, we managed to secure emergency local, regional, and national funding, speaking our words, so we can continue lifting a multitude of voices that require a platform, so we can keep bringing hope by way of poetry, story, and song so we can keep soldiering on through this mess of the world we currently live in. In spite of it all, won't you celebrate with us the life and world's poetry creates, the poet's song that resonates long after it's spoken, the pause, the break, the gentle and not so gentle flow of reality that shows up in a few words, the poets who bring a wee bit of joy to these oh so bitter days. By the grace of these poets, we survive some hard truths. By the strength of partnerships like Enoch Pratt Free Library, we continue to charge, we continue the charge to bring the best of poetry and literature now to your doorstep in your living space so we can lighten your day. Some days, good people, tell yourself you've survived some things. If this dual pandemic doesn't grow you, shape you, revive you, I'm not sure what can. What I know for sure is the audacious act of being here in this moment, in this place, is worthy of your applause. Thank you for choosing to be with us today. Thank you to the poets, to Evie and Stephen, to Reggie for bringing it. I tell folks, while I love and write fiction, it is poetry that will set you free. Please welcome dear friend and partner, Tracy Diamond from the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Thank you so much, Carla. I already feel like the warmth of this afternoon starting. Um, It's just wonderful at at the Pratt to continue to work with City Lit Project um, and to work with Reggie on our annual Cave Conum event. Um, So get ready everyone for this afternoon. I buckle up because it's going to be incredible. 
Um, I, before we started, I just wanted to say a few things. Um, we have open submissions for the Pratt Library's annual poetry contest in partnership with Little Patuxent Review. This is for Maryland poets and the winning poem will be published in Little Patuxent Review and celebrated at a public reading hosted by the Pratt and LPR. Um, and that will be sometime in the summer. So we don't know if it will be virtual or in person yet, but we know that we will be celebrating and persevering. The poem will also um, have the option to be displayed in one of Central Library's monumental windows or turned into a collectible broadside. So this contest is open now um, and closes on March 1st. And I will put the link uh, for the poetry contest in the chat um, as the event is going on. So don't worry, you'll be able to find the information. Some logistics for today. If you're watching in Zoom, please click on the chat bubble on your screen to post questions and also celebrate our poets as they read. We love being able to, when we were able pre-pandemic to gather in person and really show our love, but you can continue to show your love in the chat. Um, so please use that chat or use the comments on Facebook to really celebrate today because we are thrilled to have all of our Cave Conum fellows. And then of course, Evie Shockley and Stephen Leva reading today. We also have American Sign Language interpretation from the Hearing and Speech Agency. So if you need to, please spotlight her. Um, and of course, um, Carla and I will be watching the chat to post links to all the poets books. So watch that as well. Our friends at the Ivy Bookshop have some of them and then we'll also be posting direct links. So now I am passing it over to our host that we can't keep away from Baltimore, <laughs> <laughs> Reggie Harris. He will be our MC and in introducing our readers. So please give him a warm welcome. Thank you, Tracy. Whoops. Uh, yeah, thank you, Tracy. And thank you, Carla. And thank you, everybody, for both attending the program and also for the poets who are reading today. Um, this is really fantastic. This is usually a family reunion, if you will, of poets from Maryland, Maryland Washington, D.C., Virginia, and Delaware. Uh, who meet in Baltimore to on the first Sunday in December to get together to read poetry and basically to just hang out with each other. So this year is this strange year we are now hanging out uh, virtually. Um, and it's still great to see everybody and some of us haven't seen each other in a very long time. Um, and this also allows a couple of people who couldn't make it to usually make it to Baltimore to join us. So that's always fantastic. Um, as we mentioned, we are all fellows of Cave Canem. Uh, Cave Canem was founded by Toy Derek, the poets Toy Derricotta and Cornelius Eadie back in 1996 uh, to remedy the underrepresentation and isolation of African American poets in the literary world. Uh, Cave Canem is committed to cultivating the artistic and professional growth of Black poets. The flagship program or its flagship program is a week-long writing retreat, uh, which is now held in Greensburg and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Our programs include three book prizes, community-based workshops for emerging adult poets, 
legacy conversations with legendary poets and scholars, new works readings, cross-cultural uh, cross-cultural conversations on craft, lecture series, and a poet's tour representing over 70 fellows. Uh, over the years, the fellows have published over 250 books in print and have received a wide range of awards, including the Pulitzer Prize, National Book Award, Yale Series of Younger Poets Award, and the Writers, Writing Writers Awards. Easier said than done. The easier written than said there, Whiting Writers Award, among many others. But uh, more important than the awards, uh, Kavikanam poets of color find space for writing without fear or the need to defend subject matter or language. They don't have to explain what they're doing to other poets of color because we've all been through it. Poets are encouraged to dig deep in an environment which, which validates their own and their peers' voices and know they are not alone, as still happens far too often in writing programs and workshops. Um, so that's enough about CC and uh, what it is. Uh, we hope you visit kabikanampoets.org to find out more about how to get into the program, how to apply, and about the other projects that they are working on. Uh, today, we are very happy to have a large group of poets. Uh, headlining uh, our reading will be Stephen Leva and Evie Shockley. And we're going to start with Stephen. Uh, Stephen was born in New Orleans and raised in Houston. His poems have appeared in Best American Poetry 2020 and other anthologies and journals. He has served as head editor of the Little Patuxent Review and has authored the chapbook Low Parish and the new full-length collection, The Understudies Handbook, which won the Gene Feldman Poetry Prize from Washington Writers Publishing House, which we're celebrating today. Uh, Stephen holds an MFA from the University of Baltimore, where he is an assistant professor in the Klein Family School of Communication Design. And it should be noted, he's also a noted Batman scholar. Uh, <laughs> seriously, he is. He's fantastic. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Stephen. Please, please read for us. Thank you so much, uh, Reggie. Can you all hear me okay? I sound all right? Yes. Maybe I should have started with Zap Pal, right? Um, uh, it's an honor to be here. I'm, I'm just going to jump into the poems. Um, it, it's good to be among CC family. Um, so here's a poem about the place I was born. It's called Primer. There's no New Orleans, only the pauses between parades. The city christens its own, each palm leaf brushing our esplanade, a wet aspergillum. You will be known here as a gargoyle knows each inch of stone it sleeps in but cannot wipe its tears. What has all this iron wrought? Our family intoning Zotico means the accordion's broken back, means another fiddle's whip over catgut, means there is a balcony for everyone to die on. What is French about these quarters is exile. All gardens to the backyard. Son, remember to tell your sons. What whispers in the weary ear endlessly come here, taste. And taste is an inability to sustain innocence. No, not quite. Something like feathers plucked from a mask.
Next poem I'm going to read is about a middle school dance. Maybe you all remember what middle school dances were like for you all. Um, and this is a poem that was um, had the honor of being in Best American Poetry 2020. Um, and about the poem, I said, um, I think that we spend our whole lives learning and unlearning the poetics of middle school dances. <laughs> when I feel a whoop coming on for the feast of Whitsuntide and after school dances. Ain't the butterfly, it's the Tootsie Roll. The speakers pose as a polemic against your narrow hips. This circles musk classmates grinding like black pepper in a cheap mill. Uneven, coarse, shamelessly you practice outside the arc of polo shirts, crop tops and starchy jeans, sharp enough to cut penumbras from eighth graders. Summon an adolescent faith to push past the girl who laid her tongue in your mouth like a lisp on a field trip right in front of the rhino exhibit. Your lonely Afro-Latino blood bids the center of hype, ooh, and funk to be filled with your inheritance. Flat feet, a skinny boy's sense of rhythm, and a soft uptown fade. Go, boy, go, you've only heard in church. This dance is different than the Holy Ghost shout filling half an hour on Sunday. Nothing like the body rock of your father's bachata. He'd pull out to prove men with flat asses could dance. Still, you'd press and press, throw your knees like bolos, catch up to the DJ's scratch in time for the song to switch choruses. Boys to men, don't wait till the water runs dry. Those violins still weep for the awkward slow drags you'll soon try, but there's a two-second panoply where you've imitated the other boys in their non-buttered fly in their roll toot sweet there, at least, a hip moment of locomotion where no one could charge you with a lack of blackness. To the left, to the right, more flame than Pentecost. Eyes like two upper rooms, holy ghosted, your body becoming a tongue spoken. So uh, there's a few poems in the back of the book uh, in the last... Um, section of the book um, that deal with taking my children to the Baltimore Museum of Art. Um, so they're kind of like half ekphrastic, half memory, um, and, and just all black. <laughs> um, the Dark Room. Alone at the coat check, handing over the family's London fog and north faces, I say, enough. Calipers can't unscrew enough to measure my son's naked smile when I ask about Sumea, the darkest child in his class. He's only six, but turns his face from mine to smile wider. It's not what you think. A guilt lingers on my eyelashes. He is only six, and already he's been told he's not black. This vice unscrews like calipers until the tips touch me and ochre a bone still dressed in gristle, and him, an ambro type before the flash, the exposed, opaque parts, relatively light. Am I a fool to think that smile my son can't show means he already loves what it took me years to love? I wish for a mirror. Would it be enough if his pleasure could hold like balsam resin 
if he could learn early which hands come to develop photographs of their own horrors and which come to wade in the waters of a dark room with tenderness and how the sun shudders so slow, whatever moves in us is blurred. So that in the understudies handbook, there are a fair amount of poems about um, me playing roles in college. Um, I thought it was gonna be the next Denzel Washington, but y'all haven't seen me on TV. So that didn't work out. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, a lot of that history of me doing theater um, is, uh, is in this book. So here's a, a poem called Playing Proctor and it's got an epigraph. Um, and there is promise in such sweat. John Proctor from The Crucible by Arthur Miller. Given this ruddy, straightened wig, no one could place my face on a spectral scale of ethnic. I slid on and off stage. I spoke plain. I didn't name names. Some audiences mistook me for Muskogee Creek. I spoke in first person. Under that wig, I wore cornrows in Oklahoma's emaciated winter. Arthur Miller was writing about hysteria, which can sound like tepid applause. Inside the theater, the set was minimal, an askew cross, brown flats mimicking wood, our acting voices restrained with Puritan diction. Everything seethed. Nothing was faithful, least of all the weather. Goody was defined in the script. The wind outside mobbed the building like a pack of crows. I witnessed daily the end of the American Plains after removing the stage makeup in this wig. On a marquee of a wash basin shaped convention center, another man of God come to town. 50 years before, Miller wet his thumb and now his lines are in my mouth. Common vengeance writes the laws a lead role. We left realism in the 19th century and look what remains. We wanted a straight play about paranoia, but outside the theater, horizon's bloody lip, a monostitch, the needle in a poppet. I'm gonna read a poem that is really uh, based on metaphor. Um, and I think metaphor is one thing that um, ties us all together. Supremacy. Uh, shout out to anyone who played badminton because that's, that's what's working here. <laughs> You'll understand though. Supremacy. Consider the shuttlecock. It's deft lightness. It's rubber nose unbent. It's attention to racket. It's fear of the ground. It's willingness to lob or smash its whiteness, its penchant for being held afloat by the slightest breeze and histories of swing, how it needs to be batted between two players, how it recognizes their want. Consider its feathers, its plastic, its conical shape suggesting hierarchy, and always its weight in your hand, how it seeks to be served. All right, there's a lot of nerdy poems in this book as well. So here's a poem um, that is about uh, Star Wars. Shout out to Terry and Hayes. This, this one is for y'all. <laughs> um, 
owe to Lando Calrissian. If you were stunting in a galaxy far, far away, blue cape suave with a gold lining that would shame the sun, with a cool walk and a gambler hustle. If you had a, higher, a hairstyle so fresh, you'd claim to have won it off an out-of-work Cloud City cosmetologist. If even your eyebrows had scoundrel in their arch. If everybody knew the music bumped cargo hold to cockpit in the Millennium Falcon, a name straight out of P-Funk. If everyone could see the hands churning the dark dreams of stars into the buttermilk of a hip brother running his own city. If we asked, where are all the black people in the galaxy? Would you help us? Would you bet on us? Um, so I'm going to read a poem that, uh, <laughs> thanks. I'm going to read a poem that um, I really thought deeply about um, the fact that sometimes we should write about our own despair um, without any kind of uh, sense of redemption. Um, and so uh, this, this is a, a poem that is going to sound a lot like self-talk, um, but um, I thought it was important um, to be in the book as well. Um, it's called Blame. And it came like a wet pig snout seeking the brush for the last truffle, the growing gnaw that you were not good enough. You did not have an Atlantic to cross. You did not have a trauma anyone was buying. Your tongue grew banal as a calm sea. Eyes you dreamed were artillery have had their hoods drawn over. You weren't worthy of a stray bullet. In the fitfully coy Maryland winters, you saw an unused sepulcher. You thought of the cut marble the pallbearers slid your grandmother in. You thought of licking the bacon grease from a used pan when the fridge was barren. You thought of playing spades on the hood of a car and losing a few books, going blind. Nothing was to blame but your own imagination. You have no place to come back from. No one calls it a comeback when you start from the bottom and return like a muddy nose that can't stop sniffing the pot of cleaned greens and hocks cooking for the new year. How many years without a single black-eyed pea before the ancestors cease to weep? How many entrails must you eat? Um, well, in the, in the starkest of transitions, <laughs> I'm going to read a love poem. <laughs> um, uh, so this is a, a, a poem uh, called The Inner Harbor's Octave, um, 4C. Uh, and it starts with a, a little bit of a like paraphrased line from Montale. The only incorruptible sight here is the green of the camphor tree. It's rhizomes in your iris extracting in oil. Scent on the wind raises a Lazarus kiss we shared one harborside afternoon, the algae blooms hidden for once below the water's skin of sunlight. The pig iron colonial cannons all facing away. The horizon, unable to show any embarrassment, blushes hours after we've left the hill, left it verdant and clinging to the gossip of cicadas. Green is the color of cleaving. 
It has wrestled Eros from red. Um, so from a, a little bit of an adult love to um, uh, an, an adolescent love, I'm going to read a poem uh, that has a kind of shout out to Lenny Kravitz. So if you all like Lenny Kravitz, that beautiful, beautiful man, um, uh, you might, you might kept, catch a little bit of this desire um, in this poem. A Room with Five on Repeat. It was the year that could not be abbreviated. 2000, Houston. Either the hot boys had managed to take over or the flaming sword garden Eden was out for a walk. You loved Lenny Kravitz more than God or any bounce music from my birth city. Though your mother was Creole and had she been home uh, undressing to some Jelly Roll Morton, she might've smiled before her chiffon mid-heel pump smacked my cheek. She wasn't home listening to Lenny sing, I belong to you. Our errant touching on the couch, our shy fellatio, the mime work our thighs made to music felt meager among the silence we left in the air like overripe fruit. Our gestures, mine toward the door, yours toward the living room's mess, both begging the other, don't make me say it. We can't be the only animals that blush or ask forgiveness or plead with a sword of flames for more. Mm. Wow. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, Ars Poetica with Zotico. Um, this is a poem that has an epigraph from Confederacy of Dunces, uh, which says, leaving New Orleans also frightened me considerably. John Kennedy Tool. One. What the sea laments is return. Self to self. A tenderness. Nobody dies here because no one goes in the ground. We are not made wafers for the mud's immeasurable tongues. Communion, rather, is how I place my brown mouth on another brown mouth. Not kiss, rather accent. This too, a reaching sea returning to lament. Two, the dead must rest above ground or every last rite would be a sea burial. Our French broken. The gulf has always been a great pallbearer. We imbibe silence in white surf, spit libation, lick, beg this creole walk water, raise dead, speak storm, then remember our mouths were made empty mausoleums. Even this Mississippi ends in toothless grin. Oh, what spirits are willing? Come, Quick, quick, slow, our tender meter rises as tide on the edge of a tongue, making each bent utterance baptism. Three. The poet says, a sea of grief is not a proscenium. I watch a pelican dive for two fish hidden in a worn buoy's shadow. Who can tell which lived its miracle to multiply and which slid down the pelican's gullet? If not a stage, then what, poet? I've exhausted the names for God's mirror. Let me had been. I can only repeat myself. Amen, amen, amen. 
Um, okay, I think I'm just going to read uh, a final poem. Uh, this is the last poem in the book. Thank you all for um, being a part of this reading. It's, it's a pleasure to share these, these poems uh, from the Understudies Handbook. I worked on these poems for seven years, so um, <laughs> everything feels biblical when I read it. <laughs> um, but um, this is a poem that uh, is really important to me. And if you like um, 80s pop music, um, you might hear a little Steve Winward in this poem. It's called Anti-Confessional Three. This isn't a secret. I have failed to love with the patience of hibiscus root, whose buds bloom with no thought of being tea. I have not loved my innocence overdressed in morning light. How can the earth keep turning to the thing that will kill it? Oh, sun, bring me a warm hill in August, an echo of a fragile and immortal green a better remembrance of my grandma's eyes. I have failed to forget love is only one of many higher choruses. And yes, there are octaves of light that linger. Can we still call love, love anymore? Or have we avoided failure? Every ode must fail if there is to be a higher love. Thank you all so much. It's really a pleasure. <laughs> um, Thank you so much, Stephen. That was fantastic. What a wonderful way to, to start this afternoon. Um, our next uh, featured poet, uh, no pressure, no pressure, is uh, Evie Shockley, uh, the wonderful Evie Shockley, uh, born and raised in Nashville. Her first collection was called The Gorgon Goddess and was published uh, by Carolina Wren Press in 2001. Her most recent book, Semi-Automatic, won the Hurston Wright Award and was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. Congratulations. She also won the Pulitzer, it's won the, I wish she'd won the Pulitzer, she'd won the Hurston Wright Award for 2011's The New Black. Uh, her other books include 31 Words, Prose Poems, A Half Red Sea. And for those of you who like criticism, even for those of you who don't, it's a really wonderful, wonderful book called Renegade Poetics, Black Aesthetics, and Formal Innovation in African-American Poetry. She teaches African-American literature and creative writing at Rutgers University, New Brunswick in New Jersey. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to have Evie join us this afternoon. So please, if you will, Evie Shockley. Thank you so much, Reggie. I, I really uh, am so grateful to you uh, for, uh, and Carla and Tracy and the institutions, organizations that you each represent um, for inviting me to be a part of this event. I've seen and participated um, in uh, the Cave Canem Enoch Pratt uh, Library readings before in the past. It's been a long time, too long, and um, it's, this is a, a really rough 
period for for me and my family right now. And so being in this space is um, very healing. I'm going to try to um, to read out of my out of my mood, but without um, without holding everyone down. I want to take us through kind of uh, some of the uh, experiences that we've been having collectively um, these past several months now and um, and nonetheless leave us in as good a space as possible. So I'm actually going to open uh, with a poem not of my own but of June Jordan's um, just because I feel like I need uh, her voice. This is called These Poems. These poems, they are things that I do in the dark, reaching for you, whoever you are. And are you ready? These words, they are stones in the water, running away. These skeletal lines, they are desperate arms for my longing and love. I am a stranger learning to worship the strangers around me, whoever you are, whoever I may become. So I just wanted to share that. I should say I'm reading from um, this wonderful new anthology of African-American poetry, uh, 20, 250 years of struggle and song edited by um, uh, Kevin Young and uh, I'm finding that and among many other things, a, a real bomb right now. And I wanna say um, just a word on behalf of poets like Stephen, whose books have come out in this year in the midst of a very different scenario than any of them uh, would have imagined. Um, it's such a um, privilege and, a, and uh, an opportunity to be able to celebrate these books and the things that they have for us. Um, I know none of the lovers of poetry have lost sight of poetry um, in this time, but, but I hope we will remember, you know, to sort of reach out and, and pull in these books that, um, and, and, and really drink in, absorb what they have for us. I wanna read a, a fairly new poem. It was, uh, an ekphrastic poem, or at least a, a poem in response to a photograph by a wonderful photographer, Danielle Bowman. Um, it's called October's Shadows, um, and you can find uh, the image on her website, but hopefully it will speak to you without having the image in front of you. Um, what you would need to know is simply that um, it come, the, the, the image of hers comes from a series in which she is focusing on um, African-American um, migration to California and to the LA area in particular. And the poem's called Migratory Patterns, Birds of Paradise. We flocked west like arrows, pointing toward the elsewhere of unfreedom not imagining emptiness, not a blank canvas, but maybe a map less blanketed, saturated with grief, with no, 
flew west, but not empty handed, carried a taste of Creole seasoning under our tongue, a pinch of Geechee in our pockets and a sheet of Atlantic billowing behind us. Like birds of paradise, we brought our own beauty in our way of doing, in the softness of a gesture, hand signaling welcome and protection. We looked around us at this stretch of land in spitting distance of the Pacific, where hills roll out into flats so, so exposed to the long evening sun and thought will make us a world. We'll plant ourselves in this subtropical soil, lay concrete and brick, shelter, splay white lines against the glare, the gaze, and tuck into the shadows of what green we can grow, spiking, striking our radical ideas of liberation, will always ornament our lives with cherished color and grace, our windows laced with electric ice. Every day remind us we are what we call home. Um, I think I'll... Um, stay with this uh, sort of expressed mood for a couple of poems. Uh, this one is a short one that I wrote uh, in response to a beautiful sculpture by uh, Alison Saar, um, visual artist. Um, the sculpture is called Bluebird. I believe that image is also available online if you want to look at it later on. Um, and I think that's all I want to say. Um, it's called Perched after Alison Sars Bluebird. I am black, comely, a girl on the cusp of desire. My dangling toes take the rest, rest of my body refuses. Spine upright, my pose proposes anticipation. I poise in copper-colored tension, intent on manifesting my soul in the discouraging world. Under the rough eyes of others, I stiffen. If I must be hard, it will be as a tree, alive with change. Inside me, a love of beauty rises like sap, sprouts from my scalp, and stretches forth. I send out my song, an aria blue and feathered, and grow toward it. Choirs bare, but soon to bud. I am black and becoming. Um, this is a, a poem that I wrote um, about three years ago now. Um, when I was spending time in Paris, I uh, haunted the museum as one night and um, was brought things that I was pondering in my work to the art that I was seeing there. 
Um, one of the exhibits I saw at uh, Pompidou, Centre Pompidou, was uh, an exhibition of the art of Sai Twombly. Um, and the poem is in three sections. Each section is titled after one of the, the paintings that I saw in that exhibition. Um, and just, you can let it wash over you. There are gonna be references to lots of different art, artists and artworks. It's called Expatria. 50 Days at Ilium, Shield of Achilles. A mythology begins with a question like, who are we? Where are we? What is red? Why paint? Why me, Lord? Why? A person who knows all the answers can only borrow a mythology like, I'm King Midas, or I'm God. A painter can take a mythology and remake it so that it answers a new question, like Romare Bearden asking Odysseus, who are my we? And Cy Twombly asking Achilles, why are we still you? Painting the eye of the storm on a shield, cutting the trickster out of black and blue paper and lashing him with glue to the mast of his last ship. The journey always rough, some miserable god under land, under sea, always looking for company, people always succumbing. The hero is the one who comes home, even if it's by process of elimination. A playwright can make a mythology ask, what's wrong with this song? Like Susan Laurie Parks asking Ulysses about coming home from the war. So why are you a hero? And why are you still coming home from a war? And women die in wars too, even if it's not the expected death. And wait, that's not a question, but it's still a mythology if that's the only thing she knows for sure. Quattro stagioni, primavera, estate, autumno, inverno. A mythology asks, why is autumn so beautiful? And why is winter, blight-stricken as it is, so arresting? A mythology, as opposed to a young person, can find autumn and winter much more striking than summer, sun-bleached summer, so legibly the scene of happiness that nothing else can really happen there. A mythology can see the blood in spring, the stages of growth, the kind of violence the body does to itself. It will never be this way again, yet it can't get on to the next moment fast enough. A mythology can ask, why does spring throw its arms out with abandon, even when it's abandoning itself? A mythology can ask, why is winter so much greener than spring, even clouded in white? The icicles trail as far down the evergreens as they can, but don't keep the wind from brushing snow and sun across the mountain on the same day. The inferno is always burning, women and men going up in flames. A poet can ask, why do daughters grow up by going down? like Rita Dove asking Persephone, you think he's hot? All the while, Autumn is answering the question about gorgeous rotting, just magenta, green, brown, pink, 
yellow, red, violet, flying off the mythological canvas. Untitled, a gathering of time. A mythology of time can ask a subtle question. A sky blue can gather white clouds right before your eyes, holding them by threads of paint, stringing us along so that we miss the purple. The thunder is always further away than the whitening. A poet can grab a mythology of time that takes place over the dead bodies of letter after letter. The tongue lays them to rest and they cover are covered by a sheet that falls far from the tree. A Twombly can leave for Rome at 29 and still die an American artist, a hero who doesn't come home. A photographer can snag a mythology to turn her back on it, wearing black and steady gazing from a question that's a statement of the only thing she knows for sure. Like Carrie Maylene asking the institutions like the British Museum when and where I enter, showing that she's the answer. Contrast, stark, the steps leading in, leading away bright but heavy. The poet can ask a mythology a question like, what is black in the museums of Paris? And again, the mythology pierces the clouds. It thunders so loud, but so late that by then we've forgotten. We saw the lightning. We saw the lightning. We saw it and it was not subtle. Um, I want to just read um, three more poems, all relatively new. Um, this one is for um, a way of marking the impact of um, the protests that have um, resurged, so to speak, uh, around Black Lives Matter movement. Um, in particular, uh, this poem is about Breonna Taylor. Um, I think the only thing I would say is that um, the Furies who were, again, mythological uh, creatures uh, in charge of pursuing justice, there were three of them and um, each was assigned to a particular kind of wrong or injury that they were uh, meant to write. And um, Tisiphone was the name of the fury who was assigned to murder. Brianna Taylor's final rest, or the furies are still activists. Maybe it's your worst nightmare, a thundering knock on the door, or no knock, just the lightning crack of wood giving way against its nature. Maybe you've never dreamed of such force being used against you in your home, in your bed. You are cocooned, your heart beats slow. The darkness is part of what makes you feel safe. The rest is cotton and flesh, your lovers, and the peace you've earned tracking folks' emergencies back and forth all damn day. You remove your uniform, Expect to sleep well. Instead, 
Maybe it's your worst nightmare. Thundering knock of your heart beating slower. Darkness is part of what makes us so furious. The fact that the same bloody forces that blew your life to shreds are still free to deliver their next bouquet of violence. Brianna, rest assured, Tisiphone will help us hunt your justice down. Trying to remain mindful at the time. Um, uh, this poem is uh, one of the few poems I've been able to write uh, in response to the pandemic itself. It's called An Inoculation Against Innocence, 29 March through 20 April, 2020. World War III floated the globe a common enemy. As usual, we were all in it together, it being history, in it up to our necks. What good is hand-washing when the contaminants coat the surface of everything we touch? Doorknobs, compassion, healthcare, all teeming with germs of the past, no less concentrated for being invisible. Breathe them as one in and out, the only kind of sharing that comes naturally to us. Here, as with the Second World War, we watched it rage overseas at first, content on the couch of neutrality, even as it burned through other people's lives, until it seemed the danger would wash up on our shores. Not realizing we were already infected, we let history have its way with us again. We clutched our pearls and pointed the finger of jacquisation east of Eden. I declare, we shrieked, and the war was upon us and in us, the us of A. We couldn't see the enemy with the naked eye, but suddenly we were naked before the eyes of the world, the empire worn, no protective clothing, no tests, no ventilators, no plan. We were all ready to do the right thing, but who were we and who were we to do it to? How do you say God bless you in Asian American? How do you zoom remote instruction across the dark digital abyss? If the poor folks who don't get paid sick leave are ringing up our groceries and delivering our meals, are we eating our stress or theirs? What is the value of a healthy black person on the closed market? Meanwhile, corporations take another step toward personhood as they reveal that they too are vulnerable to this disease. But why are they the only ones to get out on bail? Will the folks who can stay at home pay the ones who can't? Will the hordes hoarding Purell remain 70% selfish? And what good is hand wringing when the virus looks like cotton, spreads like dandelions, and the past poisonous pesticides have never been proven effective? Who can provide healthcare while sick with fear, serving on the front lines with no magic bullet, not even a clean pair of gloves? If war is still the vehicle to carry us out of danger, where the metaphorical hell do we think we're going? Last week, a young Latino spoke from the bell of his distress. His cousin, like a sister, in Newark, newly diagnosed. 
So I'm trying not to worry, but it's hard to focus much on anything else. And I just hope something positive will come out of all this. We're going to change, right? Change, change utterly. What does history say about our herd immunity to altruism or even common sense? Yet we continue to pass around words like hope and change, catching terms, contagious with future, the only other kind of sharing that comes naturally to us. And uh, I know I'm very uh, close to, if not out of time, but I have one last very short poem, a sonnet um, that takes us to um, a place where I feel better about leaving us. Sonnet for the long second act. Your body is still a miracle. Thirst quenched with water across dry tongue and lips are cocoa butter, ashy legs immersed till shine, seen, sheen. The mind too cups and dips from its favorite rivers. Figures and facts slant stories of orbiting protests or protons around daughters or sons. It backs up or opens wide to joy's gush. Downpour, the floods, the heart pumps. Hip-hop, doo-wop, dub, veins mining the mud for poetry's O. Cell after cell drinks, mingled colors, mulled, cool cascades of calla lilies. Swallow and bathe, breathe, believe, through drought. You survive like the passage schooled you till rains arrive. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much, Evie. Um, thank you. <clears throat> I don't know. I'm, I'm a little speechless here. <laughs> Forgive me, but thank you so much. Um, what a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful way to to lead us lead us into the future. Um, now uh, we have a chorus of poets to uh, to sing to us. Uh, we're going to go in uh, in alphabetical order here by last name. So uh, we're going to start with Saida Agostini who's a uh, queer Afro-Guyanese poet and activist. Her work is featured in Origins, the Black Ladies Brunch Collective Anthology, Not Without Our, Our Laughter, which is really wonderful, by the way. Uh, Baltimore Sun, Pluck, Little Production Review, and other publications. She's received several honors for her work, including a 2017 Ruby Artist Grant. And are you still working on your first collection? Just let us let the dead in, or has that... Uh, or is that or is that finished? Let's hope that it. Uh, let's hope that it's finished and it hopes that it comes out soon. Anyway, Saida, please. Hi everyone, um, Evie and Stephen. Um, I feel like y'all just presented me with a fine gourmet meal, um, and I'm just trying to sop it all up with the biscuit. In fact, if y'all, I feel it's a little rude that y'all didn't send me the biscuit to sop it up. Um, I got three minutes, so I'm just going to dive right into it. Uh, the first poem is called, uh, When You Ask Me If You Are a Good Father. 
look, we know how this will play out. I will open my mouth, say yes, let you walk away soothed like a small sleepy child while I shake with every blessed memory, the glory of every fat violence you wrought. It would be too easy to name them to speak on the ochre blue bruise covering half my sister's face, the other women, the times you told me you could wish away our lives, your mouth hollow with grief. It's never easy to be a man, but it's never been easy to be a woman. Fuck, it's not easy to live. I love you the way you love me, volcanic, ugly, hard. I wish you would ask the question again. I'd answer in blood, I'd answer yes. Um, and the last poem I'm going to read is called um, A History of Apples. Um, funnily enough, I was asked to write a poem about being tenderhearted, and I ended up writing four very violent poems in response. Um, so uh, this is one of the violent poems, A History of Apples. My wilder sister lives abundant, thieving, and gloriously sweet. Like all good women, I envy her the blessing of undomesticated flesh. All resistance has been bred out of me. Blood tells the story. But why should I say it again? There is a girl, then a colonizer. Eat me. You'll find the journey in my taste. How I weep from your mouth for the kinswomen I'll never see again. My home, the ravines, its cold, brutal air, stubborn and delightful. See what myths can be made of me. Be it Eve's seduction, Eris's desire, or Snow White's own frail beauty, frozen in repose, suborned by poison, hidden amidst my lovely madness, a mule for every owner's yearning, told over and over to my children until they recite it like prayer, my rape a domesticated common anguish. I miss my home, my mother, my own tongue. How would I shout? How would I wail if I could tell my own beginning? Thank you. Thank you, Saida. And forgive me for not mentioning your book, which came out in October called Stunt, uh, which you should receive, which everybody should buy. There's a link in the uh, chat to get that and also you'll notice that there's a link in the chat for many of the book many of the books that the authors are reading from or or have published uh please buy them um as i always say every year part of poetry is poe uh and so uh as in po so please support your local artists uh our next poet is abdul ali poet writer educator and culture worker the Andrew W. Mellon Program Coordinator at the Community College of Baltimore County. Uh, recipient of a 2019 Ruby Grant from the Robert Deutsch Foundation, his debut, collect, his debut collection, Trouble Sleeping, won the 2014 New Issues Poetry Book Prize. And he's also a volunteer leader at the Baltimore-based organization Threads, Abdul Ali. Thank you, Raji, and to Tracy and Carla for organizing uh, Stephen, I miss you in the writer's group, and um, Evie, that was a beautiful reading. Um, you were one of my first uh, workshop leaders at Kaveh Kanem, so it's great to, to see you. Um, this is called This Tiny Utopia Nestled in the Archive. What I remember are the lawns, the lines the mowers made, the sparse trees in the neighborhood, 
the modest semi-detached homes, the peach tree in the backyard, the airplanes that flew over our roof daily on their way to LaGuardia Airport, the green and white lawn chairs, and me counting the clouds, which I mistook for fat-ass sheep, the extravagant Sunday church hats that moved like ceiling fans, the holiday parties, the basement parties, the slow drag, the red bulbs replacing the white, and in general, feeling like a silhouette peeling from yourself, stuck in the background, wanting to move center. And this last poem I'm gonna read is called Quarantine Poem Number Six. Wake up, open the shutters, let the light in. Cook, wash the dishes, see your reflection in a soap bubble. Walk around a pile of laundry, read poems, sad ones, apocalyptic ones, elegies, attempt to write one. The trash can overflows with mist, free throws, answer this text, that tweet, check email, close the shutters, run to greet the whistling tea kettle, have supper at an empty table, one chair pulled out. Think of all the unfinished things on your list. Turn on your yoga playlist. Doze off. Repeat. Thank you. Thank you, Abdul. Uh, next, we have uh, something special, I guess, the husband and wife poetry team of Terry Ellen Cross Davis and Hayes Davis. Um, not only are they married writers, which is an interesting thing uh, in and of itself, they're also parents. So you know that things are very difficult at their house, not, not only with writing, but also with dealing with kids and dogs. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, Terry Ellen Cross Davis um, is uh, the author of A More Perfect Union with his forthcoming in 2021, uh, which you can pre-order. Actually, 2019 winner of the journal Charles B. Wheeler Poetry Prize and Haint of Haint, author of Haint, winner of the 2017 Ohiana. I knew I was going to mispronounce that. Ohiana Book Award for Poetry. She was awarded the Poetry Society of America Robert H. Winter Memorial Prize in 2020. And in addition to being a Covey Conant Fellow, she's the Poetry Coordinator at the Folger Shakespeare Library in Washington, D.C., and her husband, who I think will be reading, will be reading after her, Hayes Davis. His first volume, Let Our Eyes Linger, was published by Poetry Mutual Press. His work has appeared in New England Review, Port Lore, Gargoyle, and numerous other anthologies and journals, and was nominated for a Pushcart Prize twice in 2016 and once in 2017. He's an old head, if you will. He's a member of the first cohort of fellows at Kavi Kahnem and a former Breadloaf working scholar. He teaches high school English in Washington, D.C. and lives in Silver Spring along with Terry and their family. So it's great to welcome the Davises. Hayes and Terry, or Terry and Hayes, however you want to start. Welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Evie. Thank you, Carla. Thank you, Reggie. Um, this is exactly what I needed. This is exactly what we needed. 
Um, well, don't wanna, don't wanna, I'll just jump right in. Um, I'm reading two poems from A More Perfect Union. Uh, the first poem is called Backup, an Ode to Weathering, and it's for Arlene Geronimus. And um, Arlene Geronimus uh, was the one who came up with the knowledge or figured out that Black American women begin to deteriorate in early adulthood as a physical consequence of the cumulative social economic disadvantages of racism. Um, so <laughs> Backup, an Ode to Weathering. Mixed ancestral and everyday trauma, African call, American response. Drum it on tight tendons, skin suffused and shiny, soft tissue singing of soreness, observing it like a holiday. It's just Tuesday. Speed it up 7.5 times. Let blood pressure reach the high notes, diabetes the low one. Let obesity morbidly thump the baselines while glycogen's fight or flight hit the hi-hat. Isn't each day, each step outside in America a scream? Listen to the resounding soundtrack. You don't belong here. Go back to Africa. And that original hit, nigger, always number one with the bullet. When the school's white gaze singles out your son, implore adrenaline and cortisol to slow their ragged runs. When applying for a mortgage with a lower interest rate, after the next white businessman lets the door slam in your face, tell this body not to hum its fate. Fear, anxiety, and chronic depression, the constant refrain. Inflammation as the blood races to the mic again and again. Measure one, discrimination, maternal mortality. Measure two, heart disease, social economic conditions. Tune up the fibroids, open up the throat, dig down, hold that note. Black women know how to sing back up our pain always in perfect pitch. And um, a black woman gets a window seat on Aer Lingus uh, in 2016, 2017. I had the uh, privilege and the loveliness to go to Ireland and loved it there. Um, a black woman gets a window seat on Aer Lingus. Enough Ireland for all your lush effusion of color inside me blooms a masochistic loneliness. Give me the screws I know best. The policeman quick to test my yes sir as acidless. Trigger the Midwest. Never on the Bible school test was this. Crucifixion kills, not nails into feet or wrists, but the weight borne upon the breast. You suffocate slowly in your own flesh. As I return to the upright cross of the US, I breathe easier, I breathe less. Thank you. And I am going to share two parenting poems. Um, just jump right in. Thank you to the Pratt Library. Thank you to Reggie. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you, Carla. Um, it's really, really good to be here on a Sunday afternoon. Um, Stephen and Evie, wow. Thank you so much for your work. Um, Marsupial. <clears throat> he rests his head between your shoulders after begging this ride as afternoon sun lengthens shadows on zoo walkways. Watching mother lions settle and nap near grown cubs, flanks flexing, then slack, you notice how tightly his legs wrap your sides, how you reach your ringing phone without worrying he'll slip. His voice smiles, mommy, at your wife's face on the small screen, asks, cotton candy, loud enough for her to hear crying your wallet with the promise of her grin. The pungent ape house air wrinkles his small nose and his legs wrap tighter when he spies the 30-foot anaconda behind glass, 
all iridescent scales and silent threat, but your hackles raise when teenagers tap windows, toss profanity at sleeping lizards. Back out on the walkway, still between your shoulders, he nuzzles, barely mumbles a stuffed animal request before nodding, breathing heavy in the early evening air. And if nine months at home with your kids won't show you their traits that you know are your traits and you really don't want to see in them, uh, nothing will. So this is for all the parents who, who have recognized uh, the good and the bad in our, in our little ones. More Jekyll than Hyde. You want your children when older to mirror your best self, refilling the ice tray at a friend's house shoveling snow from under a stranded, stranded stranger's tires, comforting a, a spouse with the same hand that rests on your heaving shoulder when Hubert Law's fire and rain reminds you your father died years before they were born. You hope they'll hold a lost child's hand at the mall, walk them to information, or greet the new kid in class with a spot at the cafeteria table their smile a buoy in the sea of clicks and long friendships. But knowing nothing better than the whole of your virtues and flaws, they give the latter as freely as the former. Blistering reproach when a sibling takes the last big Lego wheel, the dishwasher closed with a foot and shattering song of porcelain metal. Condescending directions to a younger brother, the table must be set just so when playdates end with praise of their manners and their insolence replies to your question of finished chores, you marvel at our inherent complications, the uneasy congress of sacrifice and selfishness. Thank you. Thank you so much, Terry and Hayes. Um, all of our thoughts are with you parents and with you teachers. This has been really amazing for all of you, for all of us, but particularly hard on you also. Thank you for everything that you're doing, the double work, the triple work that you're doing with your families. So thank you very much. And thank you for the poems. Uh, next to read is Raina Fields. Raina Fields, graduate of the MFA program in creative writing at Virginia Tech. Her poetry has been published in Blue Blackbird, Callaloo, The Collegist, and Ford's Review, among others. And she lives down in Richmond, which is wonderful to, uh, wonderful to see visiting us today. So next, Raina Fields, please. Um, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Reggie, so much for um, coordinating this. Um, it was great to be part of this back in 2012. I can't believe eight years ago. Um, and I miss seeing everyone in person. So of course, um, virtual hugs. Um, I'm going to read two poems. Um, the first is called My Mother's Body, which is um, after a poem by Marie Howe. Bless my mother's body, all of the broken bones held together by rod and nail, closer to bridge than flesh. Bless my mother's distressed skin, her thin frame and children's clothing. Bless my mother's stiffened breathing as she inhale and exhale on my brother's bed, covered with dingy comforters and old issues of the daily news. 
Bless my mother's snoring interrupted by sun glare through the sheets doubling as curtains. Bless my mother's hands angle over keyboard and calculator, bus pass pressed between index finger and thumb, the wrist splint she wore for her carpal tunnel. Bless her feet pass from corner to corner, upstairs, down miles of blocks when the bus ran late. Bless my mother's back, lugging pounds of groceries, ground beef, chicken drumsticks, cereal, whole milk, canned vegetables, and frozen lemonade. Bless my mother's mouth, thin and withheld most times, but open, with Donna Summer, Whitney Houston, Simon and Garfunkel in a response to disrespect. Bless my mother's fingernails, peach and white like new spring. Bless her eyes behind her thick framed glasses watching episodes of Oprah in the hospital. And bless this body she made, her voice in my head. Tombra relaxed for once, eyes and face reflecting in this mirror, coughed like a memory of what once was. Um, my last poem is um, begins with an epigraph by David Kirby. Um, it's called, The Woman at the Bus Stop is Not My Mother. Um, and the quote is, don't you wish that person were here now so you could touch their feet and whisper, you are my God. Even though I recognize the bags stretched with groceries, library books, and magazines, even though I recognize her burgundy knit hat and her glove tucked into her dull leather purse, even though I pick up her stray glove and swat away its stray leaves and lint, even though I quickly search her hands for pale palms and long fingernails, the woman at the bus stop is not my mother. I'm afraid that the driver, the other passengers are all aware of my sorrow showing that it spills out uncontrolled until I am reduced to poor girl, pitiful creature. I am in Baltimore and Newark and Lakewood and Santo Domingo and Paris and Richmond. In Santo Domingo, she balances a basket over her pin curls on the back of a motorcycle with two other women. Some days she walks shoeless and sells flowers to tourists. Some days she wipes tables at the resort restaurant. She wears stockings even in the June sun. She is still a lady. In Paris, she works in a hair store lined with bottles of S-curl and owls of pink and blonde weave, her impatient accent. In Baltimore, I avoid her gaze through thick rim glasses, but in Philadelphia, I must try not to kneel at her feet and beg for forgiveness. I will not hold her glove hostage and ask why. She is not my God, this woman, this stranger. Thank you all. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Raina. Wow, thank you. Um, now it's a great pleasure to present Linda Susan Jackson, who many of us have not seen for a very long time. So it's really wonderful to have her here with us. Uh, she's the author of What Yellow Sounds Like, a finalist for the National Poetry Series and the Patterson Prize, as well as two chapbooks, A History of Beauty and Vitaline Blues. Uh, her work has appeared in many journals, has been featured on the Academy of Poets Poem a Day series and Poets on Poetry and in the From the Fish House audio archive. And she recently retired as an associate professor of English at Medgar Evers College, CUNY, CUNY, New York. So um, without further ado, the wonderful Linda Susan Jackson. Thank you for coming. Well, Reggie, thank you for inviting me. Um, I want to thank Reggie, Carla, and Tracy for putting this reading together. And Evie and Stephen for your drop the mic reading. 
I'm going to humbly try to pick up the mic and follow some of the other illustrious poets and those to come. I'm going to read one poem that uh, takes a look at the Greek myth about the abduction of Persephone by Hades, the god of the underworld. The poem is in her voice and it's eight short stanzas. It's called Center Stage and it's for all the little girls. One, when I return to her, she acts like it'll forestall the grand fall of autumn, the inevitable wilt after Labor Day. She doesn't see I'm not the dutiful 12 year old daughter she lost. I'm queen of my own realm now, but she still calls me by my pet name. Sefi, you'll never be grown too. She parades me around, brags how she demanded my release. Yes, you and I know it's only for a few months out of the year, but let's humor her. I don't get Sefi back, there'll be no green for your mortals was her threat for months on end. Many suffered and starved that first year. Three, when I went missing, I thought my father would roll up in his Lancia B-50, the black coupe with its cognac colored interior and rescue me. Not end up bargaining with his brother who reminded my father how he helped him defeat the Titans. Promises made, gifts exchanged, my uncle becomes my consort. Rita Dove writes, there are no laws when laws are broken. Four, the other thing is my father's always distracted. He simply loves beautiful women and my mother puts up with his shit. She throws tantrums, threatens to leave. She even had children with her own side piece. Then complains my father could break anything but his habits, yet she stays. Five, home was never a stable concept for me, so it holds little memories. I was mostly rootless, which is why I love the garden, why I love flowers. Their blood is in the soil and like seeds, I spend a lot of time underground. Six, when I first opened my eyes, I thought I had on a blindfold or had gone blind. It was as black as the middle in a bucket of tar. I was square in the midnight hour when there's no one else around, though there was a faint smell of Old Spice, maybe even a whiff of spikenard. Images flutter past, streaks of light from its precious metals. What do I call you? Seven, he'd heard stories of old men who lost everything. Some lost their heads, others their lives. He downloaded all of my music to soothe my delicate flesh that for months grieved for my mother. His pageantry made me dizzy and he blinded me with bling. What's a girl now a goddess to do? Eight. Four months is the longest I can resist the crushing pull of his gravity. I return to my gilded queendom, freshened by frolic and fun, shore and sun. Still can't figure out why he chose me. I didn't launch one ship. No one ate an apple because I said, try it. I wasn't carved out of a single slab of marble. I was just 12 dancing 
between flowers. Thank you. Beautiful, Linda Susan. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, our next reader is Bettina Judd, author of Patient, uh, winner of the Hudson Book Prize 2013. Her research focuses on Black women's creative production and our use of visual art, literature, and music to develop Black feminist thought. And she has a book forthcoming about that subject called Feelin', Creative Practice, Pleasure Politics, and Black Feminist Thought, which will be uh, published by the Northwestern University Press. Uh, she's currently Assistant Professor of Gender, Women, and Sexuality Studies at the University of Washington, Seattle. And it's wonderful to have her to join us today. Uh, Bettina, Bettina Judd. Thank you so much, Reggie. It's always a pleasure to be in home in Baltimore. What COVID has allowed is that I can actually be near home, um, even though I'm still kind of remotely in Seattle. Um, and so what, uh, what I'm going to read from today is very much related to that. Um, I'm going to read from the forthcoming book, um, chapter two, which is titled Grief, the Salish Sea is um, kind of situates the, it's, it's a series of poems actually. And I'll be reading not any of the poems, but I'll be reading the notes to the chapter, one of the notes to the chapter, I'll be reading note two. Um, and so I'm going to place as my background here, my ride from um, Friday Harbor to Anacortes. And um, the, the significance of the Salish Sea to this chapter is since I'd moved to um, the Coast Salish lands um, where the Salish Sea is, I have lost numerous family members. And um, in the late summer of 2018, um, when my, after my father died, uh, there was kind of a, a, a cross-species um, inspiration. Um, I don't know if you remember Tahlequah, the whale who carried her um, stillborn calf with her for 17 days. And so the, the, this series of poems, um, 17, 14 line poems is me like mourning with her. Um, but I'm not gonna read those poems. Like I said, I'm just gonna read this note. And uh, it refers to a line that says, it seemed to be embedded in the language of Black life. It's note number two. The blues is a Black condition. The roots of the musical genre explicitly drawn from the processes of cultural, spiritual, and bodily, bodily displacement, subjection, it would seem that a study of the aesthetics that shape the blues and its descendant musical styles would also be a study of grief, if not grievances. Grief and grievances are cellular to the aesthetics of Black music. As the Marie Baraka notes of the blues antecedent to the field holler, they were strident laments more than anything. So cellular were these wordless, effective musical riffs to Black music that for Baraka, they could be considered lyrics. 
lyrics that communicate the ineffable, the ineffable and the identifiable. Follow me here. I know that the ability to think through the aesthetics of a genre do not a study of grief make. There are way too many tributaries and often they are less difficult to sit with than grief. But the blues would certainly be core to an aesthetic interrogation of a study of black grief. The riff marks the communicative possibilities of expressing the ineffable, the ineffable contours of grief's feeling. There's a story about Funkadelic's maggot brain that comes to mind here. For the record, George Clinton told Eddie Hazel to make grief in his guitar. In his words, I told him to play like his mother had died, to picture that day, what he would feel, how he would make sense of his life, how he would take a measure of everything that was inside of him and let it through out through his guitar. When he started playing, I knew immediately that he understood what I meant. I could see the guitar notes stretching out like a silver web. When we played the solo back, I knew that it was good, beyond good. Not only a virtuoso display of musicianship, but also an unprecedented moment of emotion in pop music. End quote. The aesthetics of the riff, the, the circular ascending and descending repetition, the distorted and imperfect tonality of Hazel's guitar, and the vocal like mel melismatic divergences sonically express grief as, as it is felt. Hazel's song length solo was so mesmerizing that Clinton had the rest of the band dropped out of the final recording, save for a simple melancholic melody on second guitar that points to where Hazel occasionally lands. As the quote suggests, Clinton understands the song to be a signal of the band's maturity as musicians, that their ability to express emotion matched their technical proficiency. Emotional dexterity within musical proficiency is fundamental to the aesthetics of funk and blues. To be proficient in spanning affective registers through musicianship and grief made that clear. The aesthetics of the riff tells us that there's no singular note that encompasses a singular feeling like grief or pleasure or anger and no singular series of notes either. Not a solid line pointing us in one per particular direction, but notes stretching out like a silver web. A study of pleasure would so encounter, no, become a study of grief. So is the web of black dexterous structure of feeling. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bettina. I uh, can't wait for that book to come out. Sounds fantastic. Um, and now it's a great pleasure to present Alan King, author, poet, journalist, videographer, Alan King uh, from Bowie. I think you're in Bowie now, I hope. Uh, communication specialist for a national nonprofit and senior editor at Words, Beats, and Life, Global Hip Hop, Life's Global Hip Hop Journal. Uh, he's the author of Point Blank and Drift, and a visiting author for Penn Faulkner's Writers in Schools program, inspiring the next generation of readers and writers. And you should definitely check out his videos and other works at alanwking.com. Alan King. 
Hey, thank you so much, Reggie, for the intro, and thanks for the invitation. I want to thank Carla and Tracy for um, organizing this event and bringing us all here. I want to thank the fellows for sharing your work, wonderful work. And I want to thank those, uh, anyone joining us virtually, you know, thanks for being here. I'm just going to read one poem, and this one is A Prayer for the Bees. Bless them all, nature's letter carriers and freighters, their determination, like the busy engines of commerce, picking up and dropping off their haul. Bless this life of droning for the colony, working their sweet economy that sprouts the apples and pears cooling in your crisper drawer, the coffee grounded and brewed that kicks your senses awake. Let's not forget the butternut squash, the one your wife roasted into a savory soup. That's them too. You can still feel the gentle bite of ginger. Bless those that build the hive. Bless the ones that clean it. Bless the defenders. Bless the undertakers ushering away the dead and diseased to keep the colony healthy. Bless the nurses incubating the babies and bless the bastards dropping to their death after a tryst with the queen. Could you do it, you wonder? Die for sex. Even if your life came down to that final task, even for the good of the colony, bless their bravery, bless their music streaming on your phone, their buzz, buzz, buzzing, your fussy infant hears is a lullaby before letting it lull her back to sleep. Before the whole house rests, grateful for the humble rose, their thankless sacrifices. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. Uh, beautiful as always. Thank you. Uh, next, we have Washington, D.C. native Katima Lee. Her recent work has been published in print and online journals such as Beltway, Poetry Quarterly, African American Review, Gargoyle, and others. Uh, she's the author of Almost Invisible, Musings of a Netflix Binge Viewer, Guilty, uh, and most recently, Transcripts of the Unnamed. She's a fellow of both Kaveh Khanum and Kalalu, and a participant of the Home School. Katima Lee. Thank you. Thank you, Reggie. Thank you, Tracy. And thank you, Carla. And of course, thank you, wonderful CC poets. I'm happy to share the virtual stage with you. Um, I'm just going to read three short poems from my book called Trans this called Transcript from the Unnamed. And these poems center on the lives of missing and murdered Black women, especially um, there's an unsolved case in Washington, D.C., that's called the Freeway Phantom Murders. And so some of my poems speak to that particular case. The first poem, poem where we are, but where we are fireflies. He pulls wings off fireflies, whimsically catching them. He jumps victoriously in the air, cupping his hands together, jailing them between his palms. He marvels at their light how their brilliance disappears then reappears between tight grips and blinks. It is said we are endangered, losing battle after battle 
to his innocent hands, only, only surviving long enough to light each other's path. Epistle from a missing black woman. When you file the report, tell them my eyes are unsolved cases, my mouth a missing woman, my head disembodied, Karen's middle finger, the crossways of Acheron, my hair, the building blocks of my face are tragedy at first glance. My neck can hold the weight of the Atlantic, sincerely unnamed. Poems where we are butterflies. Sometimes we find ourselves in places where flowers hide their bloom. Sometimes we don't know the difference between pungent rot or honeyed sunflower or spring garden or window flower pot. We live to land on something, wings fluttering, to leave atoms of self behind, to repeat the cycle, to live a brief, bright life. Thank you. Thank you, Katima. Thank you for remembering uh, those women. Thank you. And our final uh, member of this chorus is another poet who we haven't seen that many of us have not seen for quite some time, Hermine Pinson, who's published three poetry collections and two CDs, uh, one in special collaboration with Pulitzer Prize winning poet Yusuf Komanyaka. Uh, she's performed her poetry in the United States Europe and Africa. Her poetry, fiction, and nonfiction appeared in numerous anthologies and journals, and Hermine is the Francis L. and Edwin L. Cummings Professor of English and Africana Studies at William & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. Hello, Hermine. Hello, Reggie. Thank you to the Pratt Library. Thank you to Tracy, Carla, Reginald, Stephen, Evie, and my fellow fantastic poets. I um, hope I my uh, reading. This is a a um, an excerpt from a chapter in a memoir I'm working on. It is a prose poem, and it's um, a a prose poem uh, written to titled "Prim Notes." My sister's name was uh, uh, Primula. And so her nickname is Prim. And she died in 2018 after being um, a long illness after being uh, run over by a car. One, it's just us now hand clapping through, ha through hallelujah stomps and shouts, we have a little church with our eyes closed and our sweat slick cheeks and arms raised and pumping in rhythm while our back and feet chase the bop, the slop, the jerk. The other dancers having slowed to the two-step before sauntering, sauntering away from our frenzy, carry the party into the next room where they can hold on to their buzz and languor in this humid night, having started out dancing all of us together in a more sedate way that registered our concessions to our middle-aged limitations or the inches, miles, 
and years from the good old days until they realize that somehow the fun, the easy has morphed into something more intense and autobiographical that has its roots in sudden inelegant, inelegant splits and bone crushing thumps, hands raised for the stinging slap in pasts elsewhere, or in the intentionality of mosquitoes on Mount Bayou's humid summer nights with shaggy lawns, more weeds and bare patches than grass and storybook blue skies and the sweetest blackberry bushes just off the Mississippi clay road with a six-year-old little girl named Una and how her nimble hands and snaggletooth smile made the risk of reaching into the thorny bush and purpled fingertips worth it. Oh, Prim, this night we dance, come close to crying, but we can't acknowledge that it's that deep. We can't just stop in the middle of the song or give in to the incremental thefts that living has wrung from us and slip our arms around each other's waist with any kind of grace, because that's not who we are. Suddenly, we glance sidelong at each other and with a kind of goofy shrug of our identical shoulders, we, we fall on Adrian's orange plaid sofa exhausted and vivid with the knowledge that we will never outdance each other, much, much less our memories or what's to come. Thank you. Thank you, Hermine. Brava, bravo. Thank you. Thank you to everyone uh, for those wonderful, wonderful words. Um, thanks to, uh, whoops, wait a minute. I'm falling apart here. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you all for such a wonderful uh, afternoon. I'm not sure how much time we have, Tracy. What do we, what do we got? Um, we're technically a little over. Um, okay. So if if we want to have to uh, have like one or two questions, I I didn't even realize that we were over because I've been enjoying everyone's reading so much. Um, I haven't seen any questions in the chat, but would anyone like to post? I'm just reading everyone's like incredible responses. That's my pause. What a joyful afternoon. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, I definitely want to thank uh, Stephen and Evie for being amazing headliners. That was just, you you left me speechless. Um, it was really great. And the wonderful chorus of verses are, uh, are um, our choir, if you will, Saida Agostini, Abdul Ali, Terry Cross Davis, Hayes Davis, Raina Fields, Linda Susan Jackson, Bettina Budd, Bettina Judd, excuse me, Alan King, Katima Lee, and Hermine Pinson. Um, this, you know, this is, as I mentioned, this is usually a family reunion, and it lived up to that, 
to that uh, level again, even though we are separated. And let's all hope that next year, next December, when we have our next Cave uh, Canem Pratt Library City Lit reading, that we can actually be face to face together and hug each other in, in real life. Uh, we do this every year. We've done this for over 20 years now, which seems hard to believe, uh, particularly since I'm only 35. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yes, none of us are over 40, which is really sort of amazing, actually, this, this incredible, incredible uh, fecundity of, uh, of talent. Um, but anyway, thank you all so very, very much. This meant the world to me to be to be here to be able to do this yet again so thank you thank you carla you want to say something to i, I just want to say thank you poets i mean i mean i'm breathing today and thank you for feeding us thank you for your work please everyone buy their books support them during this crazy time um every single poet brought it today every single poet your words just resonate please keep doing the work let us know how we can support you. Thank you, Reggie, for always bringing Kaveh Khanum to our hearts. Thank you, Tracy, for being a great partner. You guys support our organizations. We need you at this time. Um, just thank you for just being with us today. And all the friends in the chat, oh my gosh, all these beautiful names, Joanne and Nao and Patricia Smith. Oh my gosh, thank you for being here. Lee Hinton, wonderful. But you guys brought it today. Um, poets, you have no idea how much we value your work. Just keep poeting. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I saw um, a couple posts in the chat about saving the chat so that people can easily just reference it to get everyone's books. I'm going to ask our web department if they can add um, somehow a link to the chat um, on the... Uh, podcast page. Um, we'll, I'll be sending this to our web department. So the audio will be uploaded as a podcast um, by early next week. And um, you can also rewatch on Facebook Live. It's just really incredible to Carla and Reggie work with you both um, every year and throughout the year. And all of our poets were amazing. And I think we are going to close out. I see people also um, definitely miss going to chat about poetry afterwards for sure. All right. Thank you. Guys, take good care. All right, you. you too. Everybody take care. Thank you very much. This podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the Maryland State Library Resource Center. For more information and to access more library resources, please visit prattlibrary.org.